Hello from Education International in Brussels. This is Ed Voices, a podcast of global education news and advocacy. EI is more than 400 teacher and educator unions and professional associations in 173 countries representing 32 million members. Here's your host. Hello, my name is Claude Carouet. Welcome to this Ed Voices podcast. For World Day for Decent Work, we have the pleasure to welcome Sharon Burrow, General Secretary of the International Trade Union Confederation. Sharon, thanks for being here with us. Firstly, as trade union renewal is key to ensure sustainable, decent work, I would like to know what you understand under trade union renewal. Unions have always had to renew themselves. If you think about the structures and the ambitions of our unions today, it was very different to those of a hundred years ago. We talked uh, this morning about uh, the centenary of the ILO and of course uh, the ILO was uh, born as the multilateral institution it is today from the devastation of social and economic despair of World War I and our visionary predecessors of the Treaty of Versailles came together and said we know that the foundations for peace, for democracy, are indeed a floor of global rights, a floor of social justice. That includes uh, fundamental labour rights, but it also includes uh, living wages, a minimum living wage, the capacity for a family to live with dignity and that this must be a, uh, a floor of rights and, and uh, entitlements that are developed through a tripartite governance. Unique, still today, a UN body that is indeed governed by workers, by uh, employers and by governments. So re trade union renewal is about saying what are the issues of today how do we build on the legacy of history and our strengths of the decades and the, and the leaders who are our predecessors, but meet the challenges of working families in this era? So for the teacher unions, of course, some of the issues overlap as we tackle uh, the high-tech companies who are indeed uh, uh, building global monopolies. They're so big and so powerful that governments are actually failing to tackle them with competition policy. And that's not only threatening many businesses in the real economy, but it's also even threatening professions. So if you look at the profession of journalism, platform businesses now are contracting uh, journalists to actually provide content by article or by uh, video or by some form of uh, you know content frame and they're paying peace rates essentially. Now we can bargain for fair competition uh, through a, uh, a, a contract price floor that equates with a decent wage but we need for that not to be seen as collusion because of the uh, nature of competition policy constraining us at the bottom end. So there are many challenges, but they include the profession of teaching as well. Because as you see um, uh, private companies, uh, software developers, um, 
the old uh, publishers who are now uh, providing online curriculum, then they will use the same techniques to actually purchase content through internet mediated platforms for a piece rate. So we need to be conscious that our professions are shifting, not always in a good way, but nevertheless workers, wherever they work, deserve our um, security, deserve security and our support. So there are many challenges. Then there is simply the threat of, in your world, of privatisation full stop. And we're not talking about schools that are provided with public funding or a mix of public funding and private uh, uh, funds. The elite schools, which we've seen as privatised schools, we are talking now about major company almost creating vertical and horizontal supply chains through the provision of curriculum, the establishment of standards and the running of school systems that are public education systems, often again threatening the quality of the profession with uh, uneducated staff and therefore of course paying a pittance by comparison with skilled wages. So renewing the profession is really about three things. It's about making sure we're inclusive of all workers. It's about organising to build the power of uh, workers, in this case teachers and other educators, to change the rules so they meet the tests of today for students and for um, uh, workers and in this case teachers and um, support teachers and academics and other educators and of course it's about using that power then to ensure appropriate public policy and funding. Speaking at our 8th World Congress you mentioned that we need a new social contract what should it look like and how can educators contribute shaping it? Well, you just asked me about union renewal and when up to 60% of the world's workers are now working in informal work, including those new platform mediated uh, uh, roles, then we need to think about how we make sure everybody has decent work. In that context, we need a new social contract. We saw the social contract that at least developed uh, an expectation for the Western world come out of the ashes of World War I, the Great Depression, World War II, and it did ensure that each generation would be slightly better off. It provided mostly for direct employment, and of course it, it had uh, a strong union component at its heart, setting both uh, national and global rules, but also fighting for uh, collective agreements, collective bargaining to provide for the conditions of work for students and for teachers, so with class sizes, with the curriculum, and of course with industrial uh, protections. But now we need to say, well, at the same time as protecting and expanding formal work and direct employment with all of those uh, elements, how do we make sure we don't allow excluded workers or marginalised workers to simply fall through the cracks? So in that context, the ILO Centenary Declaration, which we just negotiated at the ILO conference, actually provides for the floor of a new social contract. We've called it uh, a labour protection floor. Uh, 
it has a guarantee of, for all workers that we need to now fight for of fundamental rights, occupational health and safety, an adequate or a minimum living wage, so an evidence-based wage on which you can live and raise a family with dignity, and of course that becomes a floor then for collective bargaining, and maximum hours of work. Beyond that floor, there's a whole range of areas that we need to tackle. We need to tackle just transition for climate change and for technological shifts. We need to look at uh, equal participation of women and to settle once and for all uh, equal pay. We need to invest in the care economy, which includes education, health, vital public services, childcare, aged care, so that you can actually uh, allow women to work both in the care sector, they're good jobs, they're the basis of our profession, and of course uh, beyond that to enable women to participate more broadly. We need a whole range of areas of work around uh, the development of um, privacy, of data regulation. Society needs to be confident that technology will be human-centred. So the social contract is a frame with an essential flaw and a global set of rules that go to labour rights, just wages, equal participation. But it's around us allowing ourselves to determine what should be the basis of the contract between governments and society and therefore between government and worker and employer and worker. So that's the basis of the stability for a socially just world that will guarantee peace and democracy. A new social contract is absolutely vital to frame a socially just future. To get the latest global education news and advocacy, subscribe to Ed Voices on your favorite podcast app or anytime on SoundCloud. And as always, tell a friend, spread the word, and please give us a review on iTunes.
soon. So, yeah, thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks,